0: If you weren't here at all for our Vacation Bible School this week, indeed, you missed something uh, wonderful. We've already kind of acknowledged those who did a great job, and there were many. But uh, let me just say again what a great job Carrie Nickel did in just organizing things, planning things. It was really, really, really good. In fact, I, like, after the, like after the first few moments, literally, like after 25 minutes, 30 minutes or so of vacation Bible school, I came out into the foyer, and everybody was in their classes, and everything was kind of quiet and still. And it, of course, it didn't last, but, uh, but for a few moments there, it was kind of quiet and still. I thought, this is amazing. Like, how well organized can this be? Uh, now, unfortunately, if you're ever around here during vacation Bible school, it is a constant din all week long, like to sit in my office and try and do anything related to what I'm trying to do is almost impossible because of the constant din and activity and uh, you know noise is not the right word because noise is kind of a negative word but it's actually a beautiful din it's a beautiful sound that's always there as kids are just running around and doing things it's absolutely wonderful so if you haven't participated in Vacation Bible School before I really encourage you to get, come next year and be part of that you're going to be blessed if you do for sure so Carrie thank you for a great job and all of those who did such a wonderful job along with her. One thing I wanted to mention, just give you a, a, a kind of the first snippet of something. I haven't, I haven't talked about this with anybody yet, but I thought of this just in the last couple of days. Our fall launch is on September 10th, okay? That's a Sunday this year, September 10th. And I want you to think, start thinking about the fact that on September 9th, you're going to have breakfast on September 9th on the Saturday and then not eat again until September 10th. Okay? I'm, I'm kind of calling here for a fast. I'm wanting us to, to start our fall not eating. And so plan now, if you need to, for September 9th when you're going to have breakfast. And after that, we're going to fast for about a 24-hour period. Just want to get that in your heads for the moment. And by the way, if you're thinking, oh, I've got plans. I, you know, I've got a big dinner that I might prepare on Saturday night, September 9th. Don't plan it. That's why I'm giving you early warning. Okay, if it's your birthday, well, that might be an exception. Okay, but uh, plan to not eat on September 9th. Don't plan any special evening dinner that night or anything like that. We're going to call for a, a fast in our church, and I think God is going to bless us uh, richly. You're going to hear in the next. Uh, day or so about a moving opportunity on Tuesday. We have a family coming from Salmon Arm who is moving to Airdrie, part of the Churches of Christ in Salmon Arm. They need some people to help move them in on Tuesday, and if you can participate in that, we'd love to have you do so. Please call the office and tell Hope that you're able to do so. Uh, We will send out an email that has all the information as far as the address and the time and all of that. But Tuesday morning, we're going to help move a family in from Salmon Arm, and I hope you're available to do that. It's an opportunity for us to serve. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we share a passage of Scripture that is known to almost all of us here in some way, shape, or form. But Father, I pray that this morning you help us to have some insights about this passage that we've not had before. Guide us and shape us and, and teach us and help us to be what you want us to be. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. We are talking this morning about the parable of the sheep and the goats. You can turn to this passage, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 36 to begin with. It's on page 702 in the Pew Bibles. But I just wanted to comment before we get going with that, that I want you to notice where, where the Zimmermans are sitting this morning, okay? Ed and Marion are sitting over here. And I think that's because they know that I'm about to say that the sheep are on the right and the, and the goats are on the left. Okay, normally they would sit here in the middle. Waffling: Are they sheep or are they goats? But this morning they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they were sheep. And so they moved specifically over to here. Am I right? Yeah, not really. But I did notice that. Okay? We are talking about sheep and goats this morning. And the fact is is that Matthew is quite intentional in the way that he groups parables together. And so you'll notice that just before this parable, the sheep and the goats, is the parable of the talents, which we're actually going to talk about next week. And if you just think for a moment about what the parable of the talents is about, it's about people who have certain gifts and abilities from God, and what does God expect for them to do with those gifts and abilities? He expects them to use them. He wants them to do something. And so I started to think about the sheep and the goats parable in relationship to its position next to the parable of the talents, and I thought, maybe... Matthew, as he puts this gospel together by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, has some intention in mind in bringing two parables together that rather than talking just about judgment, talk specifically about how people are supposed to do something with the gifts that they have been granted. And so that's what I think this is really about, this parable of the sheep and the goats. And when I say that, then what I'm also saying is that this parable is not about the judgment, or at least not directly. I know there's something in there about sheep and goats. There is a division that takes place between sheep and goats. There are those who are saved, there are those who are not. But I think the direction that Matthew takes this in the teaching of Jesus is going in a completely different direction than just wanting to talk about the judgment. In fact, I would say that Jesus' words here and what he does with his parable as it unfolds is actually something quite Shocking. I think there's a shock here coming. And so I want you to watch then. Michiko, could you move that forward for me? Sometimes this works and sometimes it doesn't, depending on what the computer's doing. Okay. I want you to watch for the shock. Okay? We're going to read the first few verses of this parable as we do. I want you to watch for the shock. So first of all, verses 31 through 36, and then we're going to read verses 37 through 40. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heaven in the glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, And if you haven't picked up on it yet, there's all something also already something surprising about what it is that Jesus is saying. He is talking in some way about judgment. He does say that there are people who are doing my will, there are people who are not doing my will. But there is something already a bit shocking in this, and here comes the shock. Look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the point at this point is these people are a bit shocked. What do you mean we did this to you? We don't understand what you're talking about. We understand sheep and goats. We understand that there are some who have done your will and some who haven't. But you're saying that we did this to you and we don't get it. We don't remember. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, we've read this so many times that I'm afraid that the shock value of this just kind of passes over us. But if you think deeply at all about what Jesus has just said, Jesus just said that when you do something for a human being who is in great need, especially when you are not thinking that you are doing something specifically for the Lord, then that's when you are doing something not just for the Lord's work, But you were actually doing something for Jesus Himself. Jesus is saying, I find myself in those needy ones. I find myself in the poor. I find myself in the hungry. I find myself in the imprisoned. There's an identification that's taking place here between Jesus and those to whom we have a chance to minister. And so why is there a shock? Because we didn't expect that. We thought we were just serving God. But it's those who are pure in the love they offer in not thinking that they're doing something specific for Jesus who find themselves all of a sudden doing something specific for Jesus. Jesus himself says, it is me that you are serving. If I was going to use really good English, I'd have to say, it is I that you were serving when you serve another. And so that's a key here. Their pure love and compassion for another was directly linked to Jesus and who he was to them. And that's because he so identified with the poor and the hurting, when their faith led them to love others, they were actually loving Jesus but just let that sink in for a moment. I remember Tony Campolo years and years ago telling a story about how he had been to Haiti on a short-term mission trip. And this was long before evangelicals were going all around the world doing all kinds of social projects in various countries. And so he started, along with many others, doing these kinds of works devoted really just to ministering to some people in Haiti who needed badly their attention. And the country of Haiti at that point was in a horrible spot. And there was very little food. There was no money. uh, There was little shelter, housing. The whole country was in a mess. Campolo and his friends go and minister there, but they can't begin to touch the poverty. They can't begin to touch all the needs of the country. And so at the end of his short-term trip, he has to go get on a plane and leave. But things were so bad that there were people from Haiti who had been showing up at the airport and they showed up at the airport in order to try and convince those people who were able to fly to take them with them because there was just no hope for them in Haiti so he gets on his plane he has to go through a crowd of people a throng of people who are trying to say take me with you take me with you i want to go please help us and so this throng is is yelling at him and others as they get on the plane And as he gets on this relatively small plane to fly back to Miami, there's one mother who runs alongside the plane as the plane is trying to take off, and she's holding up her baby, and she's saying, Take my baby. Please take my baby with you. And it wasn't obviously because she wanted to give up her child, it was because of the poverty that she knew her child was going to have to experience. And Campola describes that event as he sits on the plane and they, they have to shut the door and they have to move the plane out of the way and take off down the runway with her running, trying to say, Take my baby, take my baby. And he says, I looked at her and I thought to myself, There's Jesus. Jesus is that baby. And he's right. There's a sense in which the child is Jesus. And so when Joanne Luck spends years and years and years in our church, shopping faithfully every week, bringing in piles of food so that we can distribute it to those in our community who need food, Joanne's not just ministering to people in our community who need food. Whether she knows it or not, Joanne is ministering to Jesus. That's what he says. As you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And so there's a positive affirmation of faith that goes along with this statement. And it's simply this. To love others is to love Jesus Christ. To love others is simply to love Jesus Christ. And while there might be Some kind of negative reversal that we could do with that. To not love others is to not love Jesus Christ. For the moment, let's just leave it here. When you love others in the name of Jesus, you are ministering to him. And that's something we need to take very seriously. I want you to look now at verses 41 through 46. Then... Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? This is shocking to us. How could we possibly have not done this for you, Jesus? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I want you to notice, especially, verse 44. Look at verse 44. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Here's what's amazing to me. They knew who he was. We're not talking here about unbelievers in the parable. We're not talking about people who had bad hearts we're not talking about people who had no clue who Jesus was we're talking about people who know look at verse 31 says when the son of man comes in his glory then you look at verse 34 then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father Jesus isn't trying to hide his identity in the parable it's not as though he's hidden here you can't figure out who he is they knew him the people who say when did we do this or not do this they knew what this parable was about or they those who are in the parable are getting who jesus is and so it's believers who did not do this for jesus it's those who can say lord who did not do this to jesus because they did not care for those around them. It reminds me very much of this passage. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And that's a strong, strong verse. But notice they say, Lord. Lord, and then are in the end condemned. And in this parable, there are those who know who Christ is, and they say, Lord, when did we not do this to you? And they are in the end also condemned. Why? Why is it that that happens? I mean, we know. We know about salvation by grace. We know about salvation by faith. We know it's not by works that we're saved. So Jesus isn't possibly teaching that. So what is he teaching? Well, there are three kinds of distractions, really two, and then one that kind of sums them up that I want to show you this morning. The first distraction, although they want to be God-centered people, And and this is certainly true of the Jews to which Jesus is talking. He's talking to God-centered people, these Jews that Jesus teaches as he travels around Palestine. They, like so many of us, want to be God's people, but they were far more interested, it seems, in whether or not they were God's children, whether or not they received the inheritance and were part of the kingdom, than they were interested in anything else. And so, for them, their own salvation becomes a kind of distraction from what God really wants of them. They are so concerned about whether or not they themselves are saved, which I think is a kind of self-centeredness, that they end up not even seeing the fact that it's Jesus to whom they're ministering when they either minister or don't minister to those who are poor. Because if being concerned about your own right status, whether or not you are in the kingdom, is more important for you than caring for those around you, then that becomes a distraction and you are distracted away from the vision to which Christ actually calls us. And I would say that that is a kind of concern about your own life first. Or having a concern to be first as opposed to last. And we already know what Jesus says about those who are most concerned about their own lives and losing it, and those who wish to be first who end up being last. And so, in this case, those focusing so much on whether or not they're sheep or goats, instead of on the needs of those around them, are those who get the shock of judgment. Now, sometimes, you know, and I I mean, I do this too. There are some times when the one thing that I'm most concerned about as a Christian is whether or not I go to heaven. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be a concern. Of course it should be a concern. We sang this morning about the amazing grace of Jesus who sets us free from our sins and allows us to be his children. But if I get to the point where all I can do is think about whether or not I'm saved Suddenly, I may miss the important ministry to others, ministering to Jesus that, me, that needs to be not just part of what I am, but largely what I am as a Christian. Evangelical Christians often are so centered on their own personal salvation that they miss the call of the kingdom to be diligent in serving those who are less fortunate. And, and let me be specific about this when it comes to Churches of Christ. And this is kind of a proposal here. Let me try this out as an experiment. For decades, in Churches of Christ, we were really concerned about whether or not we were the right church. We were concerned to have the right name, the right order of worship, the right way of organizing ourselves, the right kind of singing. Now, it's good to do all those things that God wants us to do for sure. But sometimes, I think, it became such a concern for us. All these right forms... That it was a lot like being distracted by the question of whether or not we are sheep or goats. Distracted by the question of our own salvation. And all the while, Jesus is saying, you're missing me. You're missing me. I want you to do something for others and get me, but you're missing me. And so it seems to me that in this parable, at least, there's a different kind of question being asked than whether or not I personally am saved. Or even whether or not I'm part of the right church. And the question is something like this. Do you love Jesus most? That seems to me to be the heart of this parable. Do you love him most? And do you see that in doing his ministry in ministering to him we need to be ministering to others and when we turn our back on others we end up not ministering to jesus which i think says we don't love him most well along with this there's a, another distraction and i think it's rather obvious caring so much for the things of this world that we set our focus on ourselves and our possessions rather than serving others A major reason we don't spend more time and effort on feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, hosting strangers, clothing those who need clothes, caring for the sick and visiting the prisoners is simply because we are centered too much on ourselves. And it's easy to prove this. All I have to do is just ask you, where does the majority of your disposable income go? Where does the majority of your disposable income go? When I say disposable, I mean the stuff that you don't need. How do you spend what you don't need? And where do you spend it? And I think, like most North Americans, what we do is we spend it on ourselves. And I think this parable challenges that kind of spending. And so... We need to think seriously about these distractions that sometimes take us away from being what God wants us to be. Well, these two distractions, I think, really come together into one. And I think we can frame a different kind of question, or maybe it's the same question, but it's one that, that again, brings these things together. And I would say it's this. Maybe we can call this the distraction of life. Do you love Jesus more than you love yourself. And what I would say is that worrying about whether or not we're sheep or goats is ultimately fairly self-centered. It's important whether or not I'm a sheep or a goat for sure. But that shouldn't be the motivating factor for how I live. The motivating factor for how I live is not whether or not I get into heaven. The moment I say I want to live so that I can get into heaven... We have made salvation something that we do by works, and we've taken the focus off of where it really should be. Because the focus is not on whether or not I get into heaven. That shouldn't even be really the chief thing on my heart. Instead, I would say it's something like this. The direction this parable takes us is toward compassion for people and away from our distraction toward ourselves. So we need to see in the call of Jesus... The heart that ministers to others even before we choose to minister to ourselves. It is his hurting children on which Jesus himself focused. He's the great physician who came to heal the sick. And if that's the priority of Christ, it only makes sense to me that that would be our priority. Jesus wants us to be exercising compassion and mercy and healing because that's what he did. And so we need to have the same kind of direction that Jesus had in his own life. So I would say this. While salvation is based on faith in Christ alone, it is not real faith in Christ And it is, in fact, a dead faith that knows nothing of feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, hosting strangers, clothing those needing clothes, caring for the sick, and visiting the prisoners. And this is not just something corporately for the church to do. And we do do it here. I know that we have so many ministries here that are devoted to serving those who are poor and outcast. And I'm so grateful that we have those. But it's not just something we do corporately. It is something in which every Christian should somehow be directly involved. In fact, I would say something like this. If I can get back to it. And back to it. The heart transformed by the Spirit searches out ways to sow peace and justice because this is the result of loving Jesus more than we love ourselves. And if you just don't see this in your life, it's appropriate for you to ask, who do I love the most? Do I love Jesus more than I love myself? I think we should. The the first and greatest commandment? With all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. God wants us to minister to others in his name. And every time that we fail to do so and to consider the importance of ministering to others, we miss the opportunity of ministering to Jesus, he says. We need to love him most and minister to him in that way. Let's pray. Lord, we say very often that we love you sometimes the choices we make run in an opposite direction i pr- i pray god that you would help us to minister to others in such a way that at the end you say to us you fed me you gave me something to drink you clothed me. You cared for me when I was sick. You visited me in prison. And, and God, we won't even know what you're talking about because we will have just, we would have just been loving you. Not doing it because we thought you would give us some reward, but just because we love you and therefore love others, and serve them. Help us to be a church that does that, and not just corporately, but help us as individuals to care for other people like we love you. Just through Christ, we pray. Amen. This week, we had a guy show up at my door. I was in my office. Uh, in fact, Hope and Jonathan were in my office. We were sitting there, and all of a sudden, we had a guy come to the door in his underwear and cowboy boots. And I, And I know that sounds crazy, but that's exactly what happened. And it's a long story. He was, he was drunk as could be. But let me tell you, Daryl Bean came down, got that guy, took him to Innisvale, spent the whole day with him, and then brought him back. And there was a reason for that. The guy needed something. And, and Daryl Bean said yes. And it's amazing to me that he did that. Like, why would Daryl Bean a retired engineer, come down. We did get some pants for him. We found some pants over here in in one of the containers and put pants on him. So he was a clothed individual when he left here with Daryl. But why would Daryl Bean do that? The only reason I can think of is because when he looked at him, Daryl didn't see a a drunk guy in cowboy boots and underwear. Daryl looked at him and said, that's Jesus. And he served him, served him all day long.